Rules. It takes a very steady hand. Conventions. Toys. Star Trek action figures also sold separately. Comics. My spidey sense is tingling. Collectibles. Sold $325. Books. I'm a best-selling author. RPGs. Where the Cheetos? Video games. Grab and peels. Music. Anime. This is the G2B Podcast. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the G2B Podcast. I'm Scott Woodard, and joining me via Skype, as always, is my co-host, Arnold T. Blumberg. Huh. How's it going, Arnold? It's going good. Hi again. It is, uh, it's great to be back, and I say that only because we have not produced a uh, G2V in a while. It's, We've been a little busy. <laughs> it's been a little while. That's what happens when you juggle two shows. Yeah, so for those who, who haven't been keeping up, uh, we our last show, I, I believe our last show was the interview with Keith Baker, right? That's right. And uh, that was all about uh, Keith Keith's work on designing the awesome card game Gloom, and of course the cre- he was the creator of Eberron, and we did that one and wanted it to sort of coincide with uh, International Tabletop Day, which was back on April 5th. So we kept that one alive for a while, and of course Powell's.com, uh, the Powell's Books website, uh, were awesome and actually promoted our show on there for a couple of weeks, and we, we kind of wanted that to to stick around with the gaming element for a while. So that's pretty much why we haven't been doing much with G2V. And then, of course, like Arnold said, we did also produce eight episodes of uh, Doctor of the Dead. And if you're not listening to Doctor of the Dead, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't understand that at all. (laughs) So catch up. So catch up. Yeah, so just hop on over to g2vpodcast.com, catch up. Of course, we've got uh, lots of episodes of Doctor of the Dead to listen to, and we're gonna, we've are gonna we got all sorts of great stuff coming up for G2V, and there's uh, we've got other content there, too. Don't don't miss our uh, Three is a Magic Number series of, uh, of articles, and there's some fun ones up there for you to check out. But on this exciting episode, we are joined by Wendy... And, and Wendy, do I say your middle initial? Is that important? You can leave it out. It's, it's okay. no big deal. Well, I, didn't, I mean, I know there are other Wendy Wagners, but yes, there, I gave it away. We are joined by <laughs> Wendy Wagner. Wendy has a brand new Pathfinder Tales novel out on store shelves and available online. And of course, links will be provided for you to go and get your copy. Uh, it's a Pathfinder Tales novel called Skinwalkers. We're really, really delighted to have Wendy here on the show to talk all about that and writing and her Lovecraft experiences and all sorts of other really, really cool stuff. So, Wendy, welcome to the G2B podcast. It is so great to be here. Well, it's great. It's definitely great to have you here. And a little disclaimer, uh, I've actually known Wendy now since, what, November of last year, November 2013, when uh, we both sat on a panel at Oricon, which is sort of the big Portland science fiction convention, and uh, where we talked about writing in other people's universes. And I, I think the focus was, for you, was the Pathfinder novel, right? Right, yeah. And then I've, and I was talking about my silly Doctor Who stuff, so... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so we've we've known each other for a few months, and uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, where does where does Wendy Wagner the the writer begin? Well, you know, I remember pretty clearly being about seven or or maybe eight, and I was reading this book. It's uh, it's called Alana by Tamora Pierce, and and it was the first time I'd ever read a book that switched back and forth between character like the different point of view characters. And my mind, my, my young mind was just like, blown. I was like, you can do that? <laughs> and uh, immediately I, I realized that being a writer was, was probably something really cool. And I was definitely going to be one when I grew up. 
And you you grew up what in a very was a very small town. Was it a Oregon coast a coastal yeah, town? Yeah, um, and town is almost a generous word for this. Place. <laughs> it, it wasn't even a wide spot in the road. I think all in all, at the time we lived there, there were probably sixty five people who lived in the area. We had a two room schoolhouse. We didn't have a post office or a grocery store. Wow. It was just like campgrounds, hippies, and loggers. <laughs> and and there was like no there's no cable uh tv reception when it came in would sometimes be like purple and green or or just black and white flex and you so, actually lived in the past it's amazing are you sure your name isn't laura ingles wilder <laughs> uh, it's pretty great because my parents both grew up in in the middle of nowhere different middles of the nowhere but like they grew up with like no running water so mm. you know we talk about family our family life and, and and it's like we we came from different centuries my parents are like from 1842 <laughs> and i'm from like 1954 maybe and and we're just trying to get along in a world with internet and and things <laughs> like that all oh, the pictures the color <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because uh my when i was growing up my father had very similar stories he would always talk about in his neighborhood there was a guy who used to come around and collect rags oh. and he literally called himself the rag man or they, at least i guess they called him the rag man mm -hmm. and then he would tell us these stories about when they would pave the streets the kids would all go out and chew on the tar and i was like dad are you from victorian era what, what happened here i think your dad and my dad would probably bond maybe <laughs> <laughs> we used to shoe horses <laughs> actually my my dad can shoe horses <laughs> oh there you go that's it you had some farm experience is that correct you know before we lived in oregon when i was very young we i we lived on a farm in eastern washington and you know my grandparents had worked very hard to make their farm cutting edge you know they they had all the fancy equipment my dad was like no, I want to get back to my childhood. I'm going to get horses and I'm going to have a horse-drawn wagon to help me do things. And I guess he, he really loved the past and, and uh, wow. <laughs> likes hanging out there. When my time machine broke down. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about the doctor. I think he probably had something to do with my dad's strange <laughs> anachronism. Maybe it was a weeping angels thing going on here. That, yeah. Yeah, horse yeah. angels, maybe. <laughs> so, of course, you, yeah. So, you were inspired by what you were reading at the time, and and I, I guess it was. I mean, how were you getting your books back oh, then? Actually, it was pretty cool. We had a bookmobile that would come every two weeks to visit, mm. and uh, so so you had to get enough books to last you two weeks. And since there wasn't a lot of TV, and I was a very fast reader, I one one time I actually broke down and I counted because it seemed like I'd gotten a lot of books that day. And I got 125 what? books. Oh, my God. <laughs> the last two weeks. I mean, most of them were, you know, like Hardy Boys and Nancy. Right. Not not like thick books, but. Did you uh, actually blow through all of them in two weeks then? I did. Wow. Although, that's uh, one was a reread. I was rereading Watership Down. So that may have helped. Oh, well, that's a little heftier than Hardy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like mostly crap and then Watership Down. <laughs> That's right. quite a shift in tone. Yes. <laughs> the Hardy Boys and Watership Down. Oh, that's great. So then, uh, so what, did you start writing at that point? I mean, were you writing? Oh, definitely. It, it was pretty great because I, I wrote a lot of, you know, I was always starting new little writing projects, but I had one friend 
She actually was at um, my reading at Powell's that you were at, Scott. Oh, really? Um, okay. But she was my friend in elementary school, and she also really wanted to be a writer. So by the time we were in, like, fourth and fifth grade, we had, like, a routine where every day at school, like, the lunch break during recess, we would just walk around and tell each other what we'd written on our writing projects the night before. Um, and, and we were also constantly collaborating on projects. So she was really prolific. I think she she probably wrote two whole books by the a year at that time and, and wow. of course we're handwriting them in our little notebooks and things <laughs> right but yeah we, we were really aggressively training ourselves to be writers I, I wish I had some of those notebooks still were you were you writing completely original stuff or were you writing things based on some of the things that you were already reading well you know things had their own new names and I'm sure the story's seemed new and original to us at the time but uh thinking back on some of those stories i i know that they're heavily heavily you know they're, they were probably closer to fan fiction you know sure okay but, yeah. but I, I think that's how you kind of start out you're sure. you're aping what you love it's kind of like mm -hmm. that i think yeah, it's funny that you say you don't have those because I actually held on to pretty much everything I ever wrote. Oh, awesome. Um, which is kind of frightening in <laughs> itself. But but uh, my mother's convinced that when I was 10 years old, I told her I was going to move to Hollywood and be a writer. And, of course, I did. <laughs> now I'm not living there anymore. But but I think there was always that, that desire to hold on to that stuff. And I still have these crazy stories. It's hysterical because I was reading some stories from, I think, fourth grade and possibly even earlier. And they were so horrific and graphic that I realized I was really messed up. I, I have to admit, I, I have everything I did, comics that I drew and all the stories. And one of the, the earliest stories I have written in a handwriting that had to be when I was real little was a story called Dead Man Walking oh, <laughs> about a zombie that comes back and gets shot down bloody outside oh. a mall. So I think I know where I was <laughs> heading even then. And I was shocked reading it. I was like, I wrote that then? Oh, you have got to post that oh, story. I want to read that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a shame you don't have that. But, but the thing is, though, that just shows, even from that point, like you said, starting, like, even you might call it fanfic, you're you're building on things that you appreciate and you're already starting the creative thing is already starting to drive you yeah and you're definitely. Writing. and were you you were already i mean were you thinking to yourself that this was where you wanted to go that you did want to become a writer down the line it, it wasn't even a question it, it, it was like i already was a writer i just had to you know keep working at it until i would be good enough to be, uh, I don't know, I think at the time I really wanted to be either Stephen King or, or Margaret Weiss, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Those were two of my pretty big idols when I was like 10 and 11. Right. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, you read the Dragonlance Chronicles, that kind of changed your life at that age, that's oh, for sure. Oh, totally. Who did you want to be? <laughs> oh, I totally... Kitty Ara, I imagine. No, 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 totally Raceland. <laughs> oh, okay. I was Tannis from day one. Oh, uh, I, I just have always really liked, uh, I guess, evil, smart people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were great. And that definitely certainly added to my formative years uh, with my creating, I don't know, my developing me as a writer. Uh, that certainly set me off on a right, the right path. And it was things like Tolkien, of course. And, right. and uh, I mean, did you read all that? I would assume you did. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I didn't read Tolkien until I was in eighth grade. Um, but, well, I... I our teacher read us The Hobbit when I was much younger, mm. and I loved it. And then in eighth grade, our teacher read us 
all the way up until the end of the school year we hit like pay like the first chapter of return of the king and then it was like okay school's out for summer and it was like what what <laughs> no <laughs> luckily of course my parents had copies and uh so i was able to finish reading it and it was just like yay but oh, that's great. those books are so great read out loud I'm, I'm really glad i got to experience them that way first oh certainly and then i'm assuming at some point uh you start to actually discover horror how did that happen i you know I have two older sisters and um, and, and a mom who's right also <laughs> a big reader. And I, all of us love um, Stephen King and, and, you know, early Dean Koontz was, was really big in our household. So they would get these books and I can remember, I'm trying to remember which collection it is. It's a collection of Stephen King's and it has, the cover is like a monkey and he's got like symbols in his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, skeleton key? No, is that a skeleton, skeleton key? key? Is it skeleton key or different Might seasons? I, I, no, yeah, it's, it's not, not different, different seasons. seasons. Okay. Uh, I think. Anyway, I think. Yeah. That was that was my first Stephen King, and I, I was probably I don't know I, I was under ten. Oh wow! <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's a great age for that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I'll, I'll never forget the bog. I feel like that was a very either in that collection or maybe the next collection that I picked up. I just okay. remember. Not the bog. No, what, it's a story. Uh, the raft. They're all the raft. The raft. Yeah, raft. It was poorly rendered in Creepshow Show too. Yeah, but it's still so disturbing. It's yeah. so disturbing. It still lives in my head as like one of the most disturbing stories because they're just so powerless. There's nothing you can do. Right. Oh, so great. Yeah, and I just I devoured like everything I could. I was really into Dean R. Kuntz because the first book of his that I read was Watchers, and I I'm an animal nut, like I'm a vegetarian, and and you know the, the dog character in the Watchers. Oh is sure, oh so great. It's just- <laughs> I just wanted to jump in and say yeah, Skeleton Crew, and oh. that was that was first published in 1985. That has the raft in it. It also has the mist. Oh, okay. Which certainly took on a life of its own. And I remember as a little kid getting an audio cassette adaptation of The Mist out of the library. And that was one of the creepiest experiences I ever had, had, having that in my (laughs) earphones, just laying in bed listening to that, not knowing what was coming. And it's like, boy, that set me up for the rest of the night. But yeah, that's quite a collection. Yeah. 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 So I was I was fifty percent right. It's a skeleton. For some reason, I thought key, but oh well. I guess that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Sure. And then, uh, so at what point do you? Uh, at what point does Wendy discover H.P. Lovecraft? You know, I didn't discover H.P. Lovecraft until only I don't know, maybe maybe six or seven years ago. I um, of course I'd, I'd seen all the posters and all the windows for years for the H.P. Lovecraft Film Fest. Um, yes. <laughs> and I always thought, well, that sounds fun. I should go to that. And, but I, I didn't know who Lovecraft was until, um, my brother got into gaming and he really, really liked Munchkin. And I was at this game shop and there were all these t-shirts from Munchkin and next to it was a, a joke t-shirt. It's a uh, Steve Kovalik's art and it's, it's for Call of Cthulhu. Oh, and right. I was mm-hmm. like, I have no idea what this Cthulhu thing is, but it's hysterical, and I love like the the tentacles on the cow. <laughs> so then I was like, I realized it was off of Cthulhu, and and I read, started reading, and I was like, where has this been all my life? <laughs> We're separated <laughs> from each other. Shouldn't have been. <laughs> I know because the, the whole weird tales thing is just a vast universe of of awesome stuff. It really is. It's just like this really comforting 
wonderful place to hang out if you like spooky, creepy things. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read any Algernon Blackwood? No, I haven't. I'm still uh, really playing catch up with my mythos. Okay. You'll have to check out the willows at some time. I'm writing this down. Yeah, Algernon, <laughs> Algernon Blackwood. It's great. Now, is the willows short fiction or long fiction? Yeah, no, it's short. It's just a short story, but it's really eerie. It's one of his most famous. He was uh, his stuff was, I think, in Lovecraft's library. I think he was he either was a contemporary or was writing slightly before. I definitely feel like I, I have read about him, but I haven't read him yet. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, then let's talk about, uh, well, obviously, we're going to have to work our way up to, uh, you know, where we are with your new book. But uh, as you say, there's the uh, Lovecraft stuff. And I know you've written some some stuff for Lovecraft uh, magazine, right? Or Lovecraft Easy. Right, yeah. Uh, But you've also, you've got short stories in a lot of other uh, magazines and e-zines and, of course, anthologies. How does it go from writing for pleasure to writing for pay? Um... Well, and I think I guess both can go hand in hand. Let's put it that right. Way. I feel like when you're writing things to send out in the world, it, it's sort of like um, it's really validating, right? And it really pushes you to keep working hard. So you get to a point writing, or I got to a point writing where I was like, "Yeah, I'm good at this. Look how brilliant <laughs> I am. I need more people to tell me how brilliant I am." So I started sending things out. And weirdly enough, at first, they, they didn't think I was that brilliant. I don't get it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I started out and I, I wrote primarily novels because I didn't really like short fiction that much. Um, mm-hmm. I've de- I definitely go through sprees on short fiction. And uh, I decided, I knew I really liked horror as short fiction. So I started trying to write short stories that, that were in the horror genre and I had like my first story accepted and it was like such a rush. It was incredible. It was so exciting. And then when I got a paycheck, that was even better. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just kept kind of plugging along writing short stories and um, really kind of came up with the realization that I was a lot better at it than just about anything else I, I do. <laughs> so far I've, I've really, you know, I've worked retail. I've, I've worked at a law office and, I'm just not as good at it as writing right, science no. fiction and fantasy. Totally, yeah. I mean, there's obviously there are, there are paths that we all follow that get us to the point where we realize that this is really the only thing I'm definitely good at. <laughs> so if, if I want to pay the bills, I, I better really start. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny. Um, I was reading James Sutter's uh, blog or a post from his blog recently. And uh, speaking of, J- of Paizo, but we'll talk about James, I'm sure, at some point. But he had a great comment about writing to sell, like basically saying that if you want to be a writer, you need to you need to change your focus a little bit. Um, and that's that's, of course, something that we always talk about. You know, you don't you don't give stuff away for free. You don't just write for, you know, your fan's sake. Uh, but you do need to at some point really buckle down and say, this is it. This is my job. This is what I need to do. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, I don't write anything for free. I think I've probably twice published things for nothing. And that was really before I, I knew any better. Right. Um, and and I have to say, I'm, you know, I, I'll write things for myself, but I'm I'm way more motivated to write things for other people. 
I like being around other people. I like interacting with other people. And so it, I just feel like it's kind of natural to be like, oh, yeah, I totally, when I, I totally want to write something for you. It, it makes it more fun, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question I have for you, and and I'll I'll, I'll throw in a, a a personal story. Like one one of the few times I've done published fiction was Scott has done a lot more was a Doctor Who related licensed Doctor Who fiction, but the story that came about that was the first one I had published was a story I had already written. That was it was a weird situation because I tend to write more nonfiction than fiction, and it was a story that just occurred to me and came out of me like in a day. Cool. And then I tweaked that into a Doctor Who story. I didn't even write it as a Doctor Who story originally. Now you're talking about like, you know, uh, writing, you had started writing and then it's like writing for pay and you don't write anything that you're not writing for someone. Have you ever had a situation where a story idea or something has occurred to you and it's like, I've got to get that down and maybe you don't know where that's going from the beginning, but eventually you're going to get it somewhere? Or do you always start knowing the market you're writing for, the the publication you're writing for? Well, I've, I've done it both ways. There are a handful of pieces that I've, that I, I've just written. Uh, like I, I had a good idea, I wrote it, and then I, I tried to sell it to, um, you know, an, an open call for things, like just send it out to, to a magazine or something. And while those tend to create pieces that I really like the writing the most, they also the vast majority of those pieces are just hanging out in a trunk someplace now. Like mm. they, they have never mm-hmm. really gone anywhere, even though I think like art wise, it's some of my best stuff. Um, I do think for some odd, I don't know why, but it does seem like the pieces that I write for a specific project or that I've been asked to write just tend to be more successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been a couple of pieces where that I was able to sort of, you know, I, I wrote something and I had it sort of sitting around and then somebody said, oh, Wendy, I need a story for, you know, this anthology. Could you do something with it? And so then I went back and I tinkered with it and we're like, why? Yes, I just happen to have this piece right here. And, it's <laughs> and, and that's worked well, out yeah. a couple of times. And it's been- I, I hear that story from a lot of writers yeah. that they just happen to have a few things in the files and they think, you know what, if I just tweak this slightly. It'll be perfect for submitting to that journal or that book. Yeah. Well, well, not only that, from the purely mercenary point of view, it's something that's sitting there doing nothing for you except <laughs> you you express it, so <laughs> you get to use it for something. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I have to say, I do kind of cannibalize my stuff quite a lot. You know, like if I have one good idea and it was in a story years before, but it stuck in my head, I might, you know, it, it, sometimes it's something as small as, I really like the way that couch was described in that that novel <laughs> I wrote that didn't do anything. I'm going to keep that furniture and it's going to show up and this story, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's actually happened and it feels kind of silly to say it, but I'm I really was happy to be able to use that couch again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if you visit your site, if you visit your look through your bibliography, you'll see that there are a lot of sh- stories that you've had published. Uh, what are some of your favorites? What are the ones that you're most proud of that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, probably my two, um, the, the two stories that I think I've created that have worked the best, um, that are closest to my heart, are going to be my first 
professional sale, like like my first pro level, like they sell, they give you the real money. I that that would be the story, <laughs> the secret of calling rabbits. It's in an anthology called The Way of the Wizard. Um, I really like that story. It has animals in it, so that helps, and it's it's. <laughs> It's a kind of a tearjerker, which I really am a sucker for tearjerker stories. So, and it was inspired um, from some images from from Pan's Labyrinth, which I am a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. I just really like him as a as a person and a thinker. So, knowing that's where some of the images came from just kind of makes that piece a little extra special. And I also I really love. I have a story called Barnstormers, and that that was just recollected in a collection called Heiresses of Rust 2013. But Barnstormers um, is a, a story that's in kind of, not the far future, but it's sort of like a post-oil future. And uh, it's these two retired Air Force veterans who had been serving in um, outer space in Mecca. And uh, they retire and they get these old beat-up crappy mecca that have been retired too and they they shape them they clean them up and and take them around like this very very depressed midwest doing like barnstormer shows like flying around and it's kind of i i like that story because i feel like it's got like this really nice depressing feeling right but it has like a really kind of (laughs) has like a nice happy ending which i always really like stories that are depressing but there's something happy too. <laughs> <laughs> now, did that story originally appear in that armored collection? No, I'm just actually. Um, so I thought about. I, I was kind of on a power armor tear after writing that. Uh, I wrote a story for the power armor collection called Armored, also a John Joseph Adams um, anthology. But I wrote that with my brother, who is he's just like a mecha freak. He really knows a lot about the stuff. And um, so we wrote that story together. It's a really fun action story. I like it a lot. But then afterward, I had a thought. And I was like, this would be more like how I would write a Mecca story. It's going to be depressing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My only Mecca uh, connection is uh, it's pretty pathetic. I worked on a movie called Robot Wars many years ago, which was a pseudo sequel to Robot Jocks. Nice. No, it's not that nice. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch it. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, so, so you you know you get all these great stories, and obviously we just had a couple really nice recommendations that we can that people can go track down. Uh, but now, how do you get to uh, the point to become a uh, managing slash associate editor for Lightspeed and Nightmare? Well, it actually starts with that anthology, The Way of the Wizard. So I sold the story to that, and and it was sort of a, a rare deal because John. Joseph Adams, he's, um, he doesn't do a lot of open calls for his, um, his anthologies. Usually, you know, he just pitches to people who are well-established. I, I don't know why he decided to do this. He got a wild hair. He did it. And uh, <laughs> I think he said he had, I don't know, like 940 submissions for like the five slots that he had open for, for regular wow. people. But a friend of mine knew John. Actually, she has a story in the anthology too. It's really, really good story. And she, but she was volunteering. She was working for him as an editorial assistant, and she was also working for Lightspeed when it first launched. And needless to say, she had a lot on her plate, and she was feeling really slammed. And so I, I was feeling badly for her, and I said, "Well, maybe I could help." So. 
she introduced me to John and he knew I could write because I'd, I'd written this story. He said, oh, okay, give it, give it a shot. In his anthologies, he does these little story introductions before each, um, mm-hmm. each story, which is very fun. I always and, like that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, uh, and I was, I was also a big fan of his. I really love his two zombie anthologies, the living dead one and two. Yes. I have both of those. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're fun. Uh, anyway, so I, I, I wrote him a couple of story introductions for this thing and he said, Oh, that's great. So I just kept working with him. I did two other anthologies doing story introductions. I did all the introductions for a book called Brave New Worlds. It's really great. Cause, like if you open it up on the copyright page, it says like, uh, you know, it says copyright John Joseph Adams and Wendy Wagner. <laughs> it makes me so happy. It was so thrilling. And, um, and I did all the story introductions for a book called uh, The Mad Scientist's Guide to World Domination. And we were working together on that stuff. And then he asked me when he took over a magazine called Fantasy Magazine. And I, I, I signed up with him there doing some editorial work. And then I, I kind of like stepped aside from doing all this editorial kind of stuff. I was I had just gotten hired on with Pathfinder and I wanted to kind of focus on learning their world and stuff like that. And uh, then out of the blue at the beginning of this year, John contacted me and he said, I really could use more help at, uh, at my two magazines. And so I said, what the heck? I know Pathfinder <laughs> now. I've got some extra free time. I'll jump in. It'll be fun. And it, and it is fun. It's really great to work with him. He's a really good friend. Um, I mean, he came up t- for my wedding and I went down for his wedding. And so it, it's great to be working on a team that's like, he's, he's one of the world's greatest. Well, he's one of the English speaking languages, greatest editors of short fiction right now. I mean, he's been nominated for the Hugo, like, I don't know, four or five times. He's got all these other wonderful words under his belt and he's just this really smart guy and I it's really fun to work with him plus that he likes oh, metal and, and zombies <laughs> so that all happened pretty recently then right? yeah I, I only started out doing that kind of stuff in about 2010 so I've only been doing it for okay. four years off and on G2B. Hi, I'm Keith Ari DeCandido, international best-selling and award-winning author of over 40 novels, as well as comic books, short stories, novellas, and more. I'm also an editor, currently hiring out through Creditorial, a musician, currently percussionist for the Boogie Nights, and a whole lot more. Hear me talk about my writing and my life, and also do readings for my work on my twice-monthly podcast, Dead Kitchen Radio, part of the Chronic Rift Network. For more information, go to chronicrift.com, or to deadkitchenradio.mevio.com. Wow. Well, so, of course, you mentioned Pathfinder. Right. I think it's time we talk about Skinwalkers. Woo! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so let, let's let's start from the beginning on that. How, how did that all happen? Um, well, so one of the editors at, at for Pathfinder is a guy named James Sutter, who's super duper nice. Like he's just like a really big sweetheart. And um, he's friends with some people I know, and we run this blog about publishing. And James came and did a blog post for us about what it's like to, to write tie-in fiction. And I contacted him on 
Twitter, of course. And I was like, oh, I really liked your post. It was super cool. You know, I've been thinking about applying for a job at for Wizards of the Coast because right? I've always wanted to write like D&D tie-in stuff. And, you know, you, you're really inspiring me to go along with that. And he was like, you want to write tie-in? Why don't you submit something to me? I'm only looking <laughs> for people to write for me. And I was like, okay. So I sent him a, I sent him a package of stuff and he, including that story, the, um, the secret of calling rabbit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he read through it and he, he really liked it. And so, um, we worked together and, and created the first serial about my character, Jandara. And, um, and it, it was really well received when it finally came out. Got a t- like a lot of people were talking about it on the Pathfinder website, and people really liked Jandara. Um, and 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 James liked working with me. Uh, we we work together really well. He's easygoing. I'm easygoing. Um, he's super smart. I take direction pretty well. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, boss me around. You're nice. Yay. So he said, <laughs> I want to write a book with you. This will be great. Uh, pitch me some ideas. And so we were pitching all of these ideas and ideas and ideas. And then when this story came out that people liked, he said, let's do a book about Jandara. It's like, okay, great. So we came up with this story <laughs> about skinwalkers. Is that original story still available for Yeah, to read? Uh, it's called Mother Bears. Um, and it's on the Pathfinder website. Okay. You can. We'll definitely have a link for that. Cool. Um, it was pretty cool because one of the most fun thing about working for Pathfinder is that there's this group that runs this Pathfinder wiki that is just fantastic. Um, they compile all like the information about all the characters that show up in the fiction, and they compile all the illustrations, and it's just really fun and really handy when you're working on a project and you're like. Hmm. You know, I can't actually remember the name of the place that this story was set in. <laughs> I'll just go to Pathfinder Wiki and look it up. It's a lot easier than digging through all of my files. And look, it's got a picture of my character. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so now, were you? I mean, were you already into the Pathfinder universe, or was this sort of totally out of the blue? I knew nothing okay. about Pathfinder when he first <laughs> uh, when he first said submit to me. I'd actually never even played Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, growing up in the middle of nowhere, there weren't a lot of people to play games with. And I thought games like that sounded so cool, but I'd never had anybody to play with. And um, so I had to really jump in and read a lot of materials to get caught up and figure out what how the game worked so that my, my stories made sense within the game world and i had to learn a lot about the world that they've created for pathfinder well that must have been pretty intimidating (laughs) (laughs) when he first started sending me things i was i was blown away oh my (laughs) gosh this is a huge huge world i'm never gonna figure anything out and uh when i first started trying to come up with um, story ideas, I'd be like, oh, well, I have this idea about this kind of character. And it'd be like, oh, no, we have a, we have a book coming out that's set in that part of the world. Or, mm. oh, no, there's a short story about that same kind of character. I mean, there's a lot of people working on that in the setting at any point in time. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of exciting to be a part of something that's that large. It's pretty cool. 
But you have you have a really hardcore fan base out there that's <laughs> going to be extraordinarily critical. And I would just imagine that, you know, I mean, I suppose I've done the same thing working writing for Doctor Who and stuff. But you just know that there are people out there who are going to be in- investigating every little bit of minutiae and wondering <laughs> if you did it right. Oh, yeah. And I, does that play in your mind as you're writing this stuff? Um, not when I'm writing it. I, I have actually read a couple of reviews of um, of the book that are by people who are, are members of the Pathfinder community. And it's, it's kind of impressive, the things that they pick up on. But I, I, when I was working, the whole reason why the first story about Jandara is the way it plays out the way it does is because I said to myself, I cannot figure out how the magic works in this I'm just not going to have any magic. <laughs> uh, and actually, it was pretty funny working on the book. I was just starting to get the hang of how magic worked. And actually, I still didn't really have a very good understanding of it until I was about halfway through with the book, which is when I started playing Pathfinder, which I, mm-hmm. I'm glad I did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that book, when we did the revisions, it was definitely a lot of... Well, the way the way that I wrote it, James said, write this. If anything magical happens, put a footnote in there, and then we'll work together to figure out some kind of magic that could make it work. <laughs> it just says magic happens. <laughs> that in, is exactly what it would say. <laughs> that sounds like the old Next Generation story where they said the scriptwriters on the show, they would just have in the script, they would just have, and then somebody in the Enterprise does, and then it would say, tech, tech, tech. <laughs> and they just fill in the techno babble later. <laughs> That was kind of how well, it went in the rough draft. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 experts who can fill all those gaps in for That's you. Right. They can help you out. You hire. Well, let's talk about. We should talk about Jindara because uh, a very original character for sure, and certainly a, a unique type of hero that you don't see too much of in fantasy. I really like Jandara. She's um she's really cool, and she she starts out and she's in the world as a single mom, you know, and I, I think. That, that appealed to me because I was a single mom. Uh, and um, I, I'm lucky now. I have a super great husband. But, you know, for the first couple of years of my daughter's life, we had a hard time of it. And so the, I kind of, the character of Jindara, I think, kind of taps into a little bit of that. And I, I think that she and her son, because they've been on their own, do have, like, a very tight relationship. And you see a lot of that in the short, in the first short story about her. That's when you first see her being an overprotective mom. But in the book Skinwalkers, that's sort of an undercurrent because she's getting into a point where she lives in a new community that's quiet and safe and supporting. And so now she's got this little boy who's about 11 years old and he's now ready to like really start doing his own thing. And it just totally scares the crap out of her. And she, she makes choices that are maybe not like the optimal parenting choices because of that. So that's kind of an undercurrent running throughout the book is like this tension. She wants to protect her son. She has to be away from him because she's fighting monsters. Maybe he's going to be attacked by monsters. What the heck are you going to do? Um, so that, that, that's kind of something that's always going on in the story. And I was hoping people would kind of feel that tension. And and uh, Jandara's son, is it is it Kron or Kran? I just say Kran. Okay. (laughs) I was curious about that. A lot of authors, I know that uh, Terry Brooks, when I've seen him interviewed, people have asked about the pronunciation of certain characters, and his comment has always been, "Eh, however you want to pronounce it. I really don't care. I'm not that worried about it. (laughs) 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, Cran is, uh, he doesn't talk. I've kind of come up with a couple of different possible backstories for what happened to him. But the, the basic idea is that he had a virus as a young man and as a little, little boy and lost his, his voice was damaged. So he doesn't talk and he, he communicates by writing on a chalkboard, uh, which is another thing, especially in the story of mother bears that gets hinted at another reason why Jandara would be an overprotective mom. <laughs> Because <laughs> he is a little bit different from other kids that they've known, and they've had a hard time in Mother Bears. He actually gets picked on for it. Now, are there uh, some other story elements about the book that you'd like to share without necessarily spoiling oh. anything? Well, uh, so while it is a story of a single mom, most of what's going on in this is she's investigating these gruesome murders. She finds a, basically like a, a work camp where everybody who lived there was partially or completely <laughs> eaten and mm. um so and unfortunately it's a little too much like the way that her own family died when she was very young mm. well not very young not like a little kid but like as a young woman and uh she she feels certain that there's some kind of connection between the two and she becomes a little bit obsessed with figuring out what's going on. So she's traveling around trying to hunt down these horrible cannibals, and they're up to no good. <laughs> As cannibals are, <laughs> yeah, typically. Are. I, I wouldn't have expected up to good, that's for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> uh, and the other element about these, um, these cannibals is that some of them have a magical power where they can wrap up in the skin of an animal and then they transform into a monstrous misshapen version of the creature. Mm. So there's sort of, there's werewolves and werecougars and, oh, I think there's a werecoyote at some point. And there are all kinds of were-creatures. And they, you know, if somebody raised a point, they're like, well, if they turn into animals, are they still cannibals? <laughs> but since Good they're point. not really animal animals, they're like, you know, semi-humanoid animal people hybrid kind of things. I, I think you can still probably safely call them cannibals. So it's funny that you, you know, you wrote a, a fantasy novel, a Pathfinder novel with obviously really intense horror elements. <laughs> But I would never expect that of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I'm such a nice-seeming woman. And then I write, you know, squelchy, horrible monster stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great article that I read uh, where you had, I think you it was five issues or something, oh, five-something five in the book uh, from TerribleMinds.com. Yeah. And you, you did touch upon something that had been sort of removed from the book. <laughs> Which I just have to bring up because it was your baby eating stuff. Oh yes, there are no <laughs> all the baby eating references were scrubbed from that book. <laughs> I love that they were in there to begin with. <laughs> that's that's the thing, right? I was like, hey, these guys are bad. They should eat something that they would think would be yummy. What would a cannibal think of yummy? Babies, obviously, right? They're like. You know, mean rich people eat veal. Mean cannibals are going to eat babies. <laughs> the other, other white meat. <laughs> hey, I'm just quoting Austin Powers. Of course. <laughs> oh, that's great. And what, is there anything else about path about uh, skinwalkers that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, it's more than just horrible, gruesome killing. There are some 
<laughs> nice moments and, and beautiful, interesting, fascinating places that they go see. But, you know, mostly, yeah, it's, it's horrible cannibals and, and fighting, <laughs> which I think is really fun. <laughs> no, I think a lot of our audience will be thrilled hey, to hear that. I don't have any problem with that at all. I think. <laughs> Is there any future for you uh, in the world of Pathfinder? Do you think you'll uh, potentially be writing some more? Well, I just signed on with them to write um, another piece of short fiction. It won't be about Jandara. Um, I think it's going to be about a halfling who's a dude, actually. Um, so, so that's something to look forward to. I'm not sure when that's going to come out. Probably later on in the summer, maybe. So definitely I'm doing some projects for them. I have a book pitch that's been sitting on my editor's desk for a little while. I don't know what's going to happen with it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I like working with them. They're, they're just really, really fun. Do you have a, a lot? Do you have some horror stuff coming up as well, or? Um, I think all the shorts that I have coming out in the near future are probably fantasy. Yeah, I've got I've got two fantasy shorts that are definitely coming out later on this year. One that's going to be in a really fun anthology called Shattered Shields that'll be coming from Bane, and it's all about um, it's all war stories, but they're all um, fantasy war stories. And I think, uh, I'm trying to think of who else is in there. Probably, I think, I want to say, like, um, Elizabeth Moon or somebody. Like some, and a famous Elizabeth is definitely in that book. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think who else w- there would be. I mean, Moon is definitely one that stands oh, right. out. That one jumps out at me. Um, and, and I'm really excited because I like the story that's in it a lot. It's, um, it's about golems, and it's set in an alternate oh. reality uh, where... It's kind of this Hungarian empire up against this like Chinese French empire, and it's got this vaguely World War One feeling going on. And then you have these fighting golems in the midst of it. Um, and I just really, really like the golems; they were super cool. So I can't wait for that to come out. Hey Arnold, didn't you write something about golems? I wrote uh... a I, yeah, I wrote a chapter on the entire folklore of the golem for a book that was a Stoker nominee. It was uh, the Undead and Theology. Oh wow, that sounds terrific. And yeah, that wasn't I mean it wasn't one of my typical things either, but the whole the whole collection was it was a nonfiction collection on the undead. And uh but they were doing it with religious angles, which is not not something I necessarily gravitate to, but the guys who did it were great, great editors too. And and I suggested to them, I forget how it came up, but I said, You have anything Jewish in there? <laughs> <laughs> and they and they said, No, actually. And I said, Well, I can I I could do that for you, I think. Uh, and the argument I made to them was that, well, technically the golem is the undead if you want to translate it uh, loosely because it is neither alive nor dead. And once oh. it's animated, it exists in a limbo state of whether it is alive or dead. So they said, yeah, that'll work. So cool. I, I did, like, it's a whole chapter that's just like a whole survey of the history of the golem in, in pop culture, everything from the story of Prague all the way up to its appearance and things like X-Files or a million other different places that it turns up in comic books, of course. So, and a story by Wendy Wagner. And now, now I have to revise that because <laughs> now it's going to have to have that in there. <laughs> well, it is amazing. I'm, I'm having gone over your, your, your background here and also your bibliography to, to just to see how many genres you've worked in. That's kind of sh- surprising. <laughs> I really love science fiction because I really love science. Um, I'm not particularly smart about science, but I like it. But I tend to, when I I write 
fantasy and horror, I think I typically write about horrible things that happen in fantastic places. So I think I can, I just sort of usually gravitate to sort of that middle ground between the two. So it looks like a lot of variety, but really it's all just, you know, gross. There's a lot of, there's a lot of baby eating and, and monsters. <laughs> it's pretty much all baby eating and uh, violence. Guys in Mecca eating babies. Eating babies. Wow, yeah. I should write that story. Ooh, now there's a story. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and and is there anything else on the horizon? I know you just talked talked about uh, potentially another Pathfinder thing. You got some stories coming up, but, but anything else you wanted to share? Well, editorially, I am really excited about a project that I've been working on. Um, I've, I'm the nonfiction editor of two projects that are going to be coming out. One is called Women Destroy Science Fiction, and it's a really gigantic compendium of uh, science fiction by well, not gigantic compendium. Like, you know, like a, it's not like a five million page <laughs> book or something. That's but, something that Arnold and I are just wrapping right, up. Yeah. <laughs> but in June, we'll be releasing this special issue of Lightspeed, and um, it'll have 14 pieces of flash fiction, uh, 16 short stories, a novella, 29 personal essays, uh, eight pieces of nonfiction. And Jesus. it's just like this really giant chunk um and and the cool thing is the same price as a regular issue of Lightspeed, oh, and it's nice. all all women working in science fiction and and doing cool things and, and i think it's going to be really cool and then we're going to do um in in october we're releasing women destroy fantasy and women destroy horror which i'm less involved with but so all of these like feminist projects are coming to fruition <laughs> this year um and i think they're going to be really fun Weren't you working on something that was game related as well? Like a yeah, um, I'm not sure when that book is coming out, but I know I have an essay coming out. Uh, it's in a book that's on on tap called Chicks Dig Gaming. So I, I'm excited. I, I I talk about Lovecraftian board games. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, Arnold, did you have anything else? No, no, not for me. I'm I'm overwhelmed. There's just so much to to keep track of. Well, actually, one last thing I would say, though, then, is with all all the juggling of all the projects, is it something that makes you even more productive that you stay busy? Yeah, definitely. When I stay busy, I stay in a good mood. When I'm not busy, then I get all, like, gloomy and depressed. And Mm -hmm. you think that that not being busy, you'd be like, oh, I should work on these dream projects. But instead, when I'm not busy, I'm just like, I'm worthless. I cannot work on anything. I don't think you're in any danger of that then. If that's, no, if that's not what your at slate all. is. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a whole bunch of short stories I should probably be writing right now. Well, we, we we do appreciate you carving some time out of your work schedule to come on our show. <laughs> you can get back to it all now. Uh. But thank you so much, Wendy. It's been a great, great chat. It's great hanging out with you and Mr. Bloomberg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we look forward to having you back sometime when the when the maybe when the next Pathfinder novel comes out. That'd be great. All right. Well, terrific. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. And that's it for this episode of the G to V podcast. Special thanks to our guest Wendy Wagner for taking time out of her busy schedule to chat with us. If you'd like to order a copy of Wendy's Pathfinder Tales novel, or any of the short story collections mentioned in this episode, you can find links in our show notes, available at g 2 
To keep up with all the latest G2V news, follow us on Twitter at G2V Podcast. Join our Facebook page and subscribe to the show through iTunes. If zombies are your thing, be sure to check out our Walking Dead podcast, Doctor of the Dead, also found on iTunes and available for streaming at g2vpodcast.com. 